There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. Good evening. Welcome. This is Debbie George Addis. Thank you so very much for tuning into my show to America Can We Talk. And I'm doing the show tonight from California. First of all, you know, my two previous shows, the two weeks ago was Christmas Eve. Last week was New Year's Eve. So I really, I, I pre-recorded them like a day or two ahead. So this is so great. I love being back live talking with you on America Can We Talk. And I'm doing the show from California. So I simply must thank in Dallas, uh, Greg Lindemood and Jim Bartow getting this all set up and here in Oxnard, California. California. I want to thank Kevin Campbell and Brian Tui making it all possible. Uh, and we're doing Facebook Live, so if you're listening and you're pulling up in your driveway to your house, you can go on and listen to Facebook Live. Okay, on the first five tonight, I want to talk about something that I honestly think is among the most sinister, concerning things happening in Washington. And it is just, uh, I mean, you think that the establishment was upset by the victory that uh, Donald Trump made last fall when he won, or in November 2016, when he won his election. Uh, and this has been an absolute unwillingness on the American left, and frankly, among establishment people, even in, uh, on the GOP side, to agree that this guy won. And so we'll be talking later in the next segment a little bit about what the latest efforts are of the um, the FBI, the Department of Justice, what's going on in terms of trying to undermine Trump's presidency, President Trump's serving as your president, uh, and the whole investigation in Russia, and then the latest, which is really, really exciting stuff happening. But in this first five, I want to talk about just how determined the American left is to destroy this president. So there is a psychiatrist at, in Yale, at Yale University. She's a um, assistant professor of forensic psychiatry, and she specializes in law and the intersection of law and mental health. This woman, her name is Bandy Lee. She actually met with, she met with and talked to Democrats in Congress and one senator, I guess, to make her, and she's saying, I'm not diagnosing, I am just raising the alarm. I'm not saying that he's, I'm just assessing dangerousness. She is trying to float the idea, and I am not exaggerating in telling you this. She is trying to float the idea that Donald Trump is dangerous and must be subject to an undesired, unsolicited mental competency examination. I'm not kidding. And this, if you, uh, you will see, if you go to our America Can We Talk uh, website, we posted an article, lengthy interview with her named Bandy Lee. Uh, it came from Vox, V-O-X, which is, you know, left wing, but still. This woman who is a, you know, 20-year psychiatrist is sitting back in, uh, at Yale among her left wing colleagues and deciding from a distance that Donald Trump is dangerous. And, and as I say, she's actually advocating and agitating for the idea that he has to be forced to have an examination. I want to give you some examples when they're asked, well, what are you talking about? Why would you say this about the president? She gave us an example that he 
retweeted a violent anti-Muslim video which shows a concerning attraction to violence. She's talking about his tweeting when he tweeted some, you know, other concern that people in England had about all of the violence and Islamic threats in England. She's pointing to that because he tweeted that. This shows a concerning violence. She talked about provoking our allies and alienating them, giving a specific example of that we, that President Trump had poked a beehive in the Middle East by declaring Jerusalem as Israel's capital. This is one of her examples of why she says she has serious concern about Trump's mental health, because he dared to go along with what what President Clinton, President Obama, President Bush had all agreed was to be the case, which was America would move its recognition of Israel's capital to Jerusalem because that's what Israel said. She also points to things like instigating civil conflict, She's talking about him actually making commentary about a variety of things in the, um, you know, in American culture. Now, I'm going to just put a comma there and ask you, when President Obama, for example, stirred up America and stirred up and stirred up America and continued to comment and agitate and cause a lot of, uh, because of the incidents in Ferguson and and in um, other, other incidents involving police interaction, he did not, I mean, his commentary, his stirring it up, his continu- contributed to true civil unrest. Truly, at the end of his of President Obama's presidency, everyone polled, blacks, whites, everyone said race relations are far worse. So this is a professor sitting back at Yale and analyzing, and I'm telling you the examples, every example she gives. Like she, t- she said he tweets too much. Oh, seriously, we're now going to be concerned about tweeting too much as a, as a symbol, a signal of, of lack of mental health requiring an intervention, an intervention, an unsolicited examination. This is what this woman, Bandy Lee, is actually saying. And left-wing America is looking at this as another way to remove this president. I'm telling you, folks, this idea, it sounds absurd, and you can all be sitting there thinking, oh, well, that's not going to happen. But she's now met with people in Congress. She's got Democrats stirred up. She has left-wing websites saying, well, you know, we couldn't get rid of President Trump because of the Russia-Trump collusion story, because it turned out that wasn't true. That was a complete farce. But now they're on this actual talk of whether or not Trump should be removed because because he is supposedly, uh, you know, mentally not healthy. So, you know, folks, we have a little bit of a problem with our timing here. I think my friend Greg in Dallas is going to tell me how much time we got here. Okay, got to go. Come back after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. 
America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. So appreciate you tuning in every single Sunday. Okay, so, you know, on this point in the first hour that I was, the first segment I was talking about, I just really want to, make sure I drive home the point that this is a dangerous thing. This isn't something to just roll your eyes at and say, well, gall dang those Democrats, look what they're doing now. This is an effort to find a way to get Donald Trump removed from office. This is an effort to undermine his credibility. It's an effort to undermine his uh, place in, in leadership, his stature in the world. This is not a minor game. It's not a game. It's not, not to be dismissed lightly. This is something that the Democrats have decided that we can 
perhaps stir up the American people, get them worried, get them concerned, maybe they won't support him, um, and cast a doubt on everything he does and recognize many of the things she's pointing to. And I couldn't even list all the craziness that was in this one interview with her. But this Yale psychiatrist, Bandy Lee, is essentially saying that because Trump did something like recognize Jerusalem as a capital of Israel— which is, of course, what Israel says it is, this is a sign of mental instability, of poor judgment, that what he tweeted back with respect to the leader of North Korea, whatever you think about his tweets, this is a left-winger, and the people in Washington who love their established power, the establishment class, frankly, in both parties, sitting there realizing this guy is actually going to stir up Washington. He's actually attempting to drain the swamp. He's actually going to make big changes. He's actually going to make us look bad. And these people in Washington who are watching this happen, who thought that they run the place and they have their establishment cabal and nobody's going to come in and change it, they cannot believe how much Donald Trump has done and honestly done pretty much without the help of Congress. So I think this issue of letting this woman blather all over, left-wing blather speak, characterize policy choices made by the elected president, most of which are completely consistent with things he ran on, things he said he believed in, and these constitute danger and mental health and and challenges. Honestly, folks, and and I tell you, one reason the left loves this is because most of us realize we are not mental health experts. We don't feel like we could possibly... You know, speak up and say something because maybe we're wrong. Maybe we don't know. We have to see this for what it is, folks. This is another attempt. In fact, in this interview on Vox with this Bandy Lee Yale character, she even said she was concerned that if, you know, people, if she was the one agitating and others in the media were agitating, that there might be uh, a perception out there that it was a coup. Her word. This, this could be seen as a coup. And folks, it is. It is. It matters so much that we recognize what they're up to. We denounce this effort. Do not, I mean, just, just, and you can tweet about it. You can talk about it. You can tell your elected officials, but we cannot let this issue get uh, played the way the left wants to have it played. We have to be fighting back and recognizing how seriously, how seriously this needs to be taken. Okay. What I want to hit in this segment, because I will tell you, at 630, we have a great, great guest coming up, Mark Krikorian. He is the president of the Center for Immigration Studies, a nonpartisan, astonishingly well-informed man. Uh, The organization is nonpartisan, and he's going to explain to us where we are on DACA, what's DACA versus Dreamers, not the same thing, where we have room to play, how America, because we are facing this issue right now, and we are watching many people who elected Donald Trump, who came out in hordes to support Donald Trump, did it in great part because they believed that Donald Trump would actually do something about not just unlawful immigration, not just refugees, but over just overturning the whole lawlessness of the previous eight years, DACA being a perfect example of utter and complete lawlessness that was being carried out under our very noses in Washington. And DACA was an example of one where President Obama just, you know, even though he's a Harvard constitutional lawyer, forgot the part about we have three branches of government and he's actually not 
the one who makes the laws, he made law by passing an executive order, by writing an executive order that essentially granted a form of amnesty to many people in America. The short term is DACA. We'll talk about it next. So we have that coming up. But the other big thing happening in Washington I want to mention, because I know these stories get convoluted, they get complicated, and I want to, because I always tell you, I do this show to speak up for America. I do this show to talk about preserving the most important country, the most important political idea in the world, America, a country committed to the liberty, committed to rule of law, and holding on to and protecting it. And one way we have to act as patriots in this generation to protect America is insist on the rule of law. And I want to tell you some things happening and they get complicated and blurred together. I'm going to try to hit three, and I only I don't have that much time left in this segment, but I want to tell you the three things happening that all matter so much in Washington related to the rule of law. Number one is the Department of Justice is actually reopening the investigation into Hillary's emails, or at least they are making noise that they're, the FBI is going to look in again to the question of Hillary's emails. And if you think you're sick of this topic, and you think, how can we have to talk about this again? Let me explain why. Hillary set up a private server when she was Secretary of State for the purpose, in my opinion, the purpose of evading the uh, attention of people who could file FOIA requests, of avoiding uh, any kind of scrutiny of her conduct. And so so the FBI is looking into, again, her email server and whether she committed a crime in setting up the email server and receiving and sending highly classified, highest classification that exists in documents, setting that up from her home. So that's the first thing, that they're looking into that again. And the reason this matters, even if they decide not to prosecute Hillary, which is entirely possible, they may decide not to prosecute her, but there needs to be a reestablishment in America of the notion that it is actually a violation of federal law to endanger America's security secrets. And that's what she did. And, you know, I can go, we could have, maybe I'll do this in a second hour, we can talk a lot about, you know, Uh, Comey, FBI Director Comey, let Hillary off to saying she didn't intend, she didn't have a motive to harm America, which is irrelevant to the question. But the the most important thing coming out of this potential FBI review is reasserting that the the, um, obligation of everyone who has access to America's security secrets to be sure that they understand it's a crime and she should be prosecuted for it. Second thing FBI is opening up is a investigation into whether Hillary Clinton engaged in pay for play, meaning while she was secretary of state, did she in exchange for donations to her or to the Clinton foundation, give policy favors to people who made donations. It's called pay for play. There is a open and shut black and white case just about the uranium one Donations, the Uranium One of related people, which was Hillary authorizing, along with others, authorizing Russia getting access to 20%, getting ownership of 20% of America's uranium assets in exchange for donations to the, the Clinton Foundation of something like $145 million. This is being investigated again by the Department of Justice, the FBI actually in Little Rock, where the Clinton Foundation got started, are looking into this. This is a huge 
thing. And you know, folks, I know a lot of people say, well, we don't want to be like a banana republic, a third world country, and that we, when we have a, a leader who's now out, that we prosecute them, we drag them in front of the public and embarrass them and throw them in jail. And yes, that is true. We don't want to be that. But that's not what this is. This is literally decades of lawlessness under the Clinton in the Clinton crime family of Hillary and Bill. But in particular, this idea that as secretary of state, and that's the most clear example. There are dozens of others, but this one is most important. This uranium one deal. Here we have the left trying to make hay about whether Trump colluded with the Russians, which he, there's no evidence he did. But here's Hillary giving access to America's, um, giving access to 20% of America's uranium assets, uranium being what is used to make nuclear weapons in exchange for massive donations by the interested parties to the Clinton Foundation. Folks, we cannot let this sit. We cannot let it lie. So that's the second thing that's happening. And the third thing is happening is, and this gets a little more complicated than I have time to do, but let me just try to uh, tease it for you a little bit. But there is now a request by Republicans in Washington, particularly Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, Republican congressmen, asking the FBI to look into the Steele dossier issue. And again, we've talked about in the show a lot. I'm going to try to give you a summary in, in record time because I don't have a lot of time in this segment. But the short answer, the, the basic answer of the issue is this. Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for an investigation that was completely false, produced a dossier. It was used to get warrants so that the government, using your tax dollars, spying on Hillary's enemy. And with that, we've got to roll to a break. When we come back, we have Mark Krikorian joining us, the president of the Center for Immigration Studies. Great guy, well-informed. You'll know all you need to know about DACA. Don't go away. nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. 
American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so glad you've tuned in tonight. And I told you before the break, actually, I hope we have our guest online. You know, I'm doing this show from California tonight, which is really fun. And I'm grateful, again, to the people in the studio here in Oxnard, California, and in Dallas or Irving, Texas, to make this possible. But this uh, little communication gaps happen, so I'm not entirely sure if we have our guest online. Okay, so I'm sorry. So, Greg, do we have Mark Krikorian? Oh, great. Well, I'm going to welcome to the show Mark Krikorian. He is the president of the Center for Immigration Studies. He's been on the show before. He's a fount of knowledge about the immigration issues and obviously a very popular guy these days, given how there is so much focus in Washington on uh, DACA and what Congress should do about it. So hello, Mark Krikorian. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I love having you. It's fun. Actually, I saw you in Washington, too, in a November, I guess that was. Really fun to see you in Washington right. at them. Yep. Um, yeah. So, well, here's what I want to 
Uh, first of all, Mark Krikorian, just by further way of background, folks, is a nationally recognized expert on immigration. He's testified. He writes a lot. I urge you to go to their website, um, cis.org. Is it .org? Yes, it is .org. Yeah. You know, I just start typing in CI and it comes up. CIS.org, Center for Immigration Studies. Tons of information. But here's the thing I want to talk about tonight. DACA, you know, uh, which has been in place uh, since uh, President Obama issued the executive order, I think it was like June of 2012, and essentially froze into place a right of some Americans to stay, some people to stay who are not Americans. And so now the, uh, and there has been, I guess he gave like a, a further waiver. So Congress has to do something by around March to deal with this DACA population. So to start with, I noticed you wrote a fun article called, uh, what was it, DACA, DACA, Bobaca, something like yes. that? <laughs> from the yeah. song, you know, from the, uh, the name game song, if you remember that I... from the 60s. I do. One point that jumped out, I want to have you just start with by telling our listeners, what's the difference between people who are DACA and people who here who, who are called dreamers? Well, uh, the people with DACA are a subset of the dreamers. Dreamers are, it's a, you know, it's a lobbyist propaganda term. It means illegal immigrants who came at a young age. Uh, usually with their parents, but sometimes if they were teenagers, they you know came on their own. But generally, um, it means I- illegal immigrants who grew up here. That's kind of the thinking. And DACA was was uh, issued by President Obama when Congress, the Democratic Congress, couldn't pass the Dream Act, which would have amnestied all of these so-called dreamers. Um, and so. Uh, that was in 2010. They failed to pass that at the end of 2010. So as the presidential election approached about a year and a half later, the White House staff was actually worried that the Hispanic uh, voter registration was down from the previous election. They just weren't all that excited about Obama because he talked about immigration and then hadn't done anything. Uh, even though they had a supermajority in Congress, they did nothing. So, and which is, from my perspective, is good. I'm glad they did nothing. But the point is they were worried about getting their base motivated. So what they did is issue this DACA order, which um, basically tried to do what the DREAM Act would have done, but on his own without Congress's permission. And it was a two-year renewable work permit uh, for people who came before age 16, and they had certain other minimal requirements. And what we have now is something like 700,000 people with that status. President Trump had pledged during the campaign to pull the plug on this illegal program on day one. It <clears throat> didn't happen until about day 200, but it finally <laughs> did. And he gave a six-month grace period, which makes sense. You know, I mean, that, that gives Congress a chance to do their job. It's Congress's job. If they don't want to do it, then they don't do it. If they do, they do. You know, I mean, that's um, what we have a lawmaking body for. And that's what all the debate is about. And in early March is when the work permits will start expiring for um, these people with DACA. Okay, so you say DACA is a subset of DREAMers, and the DACA definition is what you were just saying. They actually, these people who stepped up after President Obama issued his executive order in June of 2012, and they signed up, so they have this legal status. But is the term DREAMer just pretty much referring to other people who are uh, here illegally and are dreaming become of citizens, or is there some even, I mean, I realize it was a propaganda term, 
to get the whole conversation in America sympathetic, but is there some other term or criteria that define who the dreamers are? No, really. I mean, it's, uh, I mean there's no, it's, like I said, it's not an official formal term, but the various dream acts, they could, they've issued legislation or dropped legislation for a number of years called the Dream Act. And basically it would amnesty any illegal immigrant who came before age 16 and, you know, wasn't a mass murderer, basically. I mean, there were some very minimal requirements about being signed <laughs> up for some educational program if you didn't already have a high school diploma, that sort of thing. But really, I mean, in actual fact, basically to amnesty all illegal immigrants who came before age 16. That's what the DREAM Act would have done. DACA was a little narrower, and obviously it's not a law, so it couldn't give people green cards, formal permanent amnesty, but it gave them a temporary uh, renewable amnesty. Okay, so I do want to get to, so here we are in, you know, we're January 2018. We have a Republican Congress, House and Senate and White House. We have this DACA thing expiring in March. We have a president who wants the wall built. He wants other immigration reform uh, or wants some immigration reform done. So the Center for Immigration Studies, what is your best advice? Like what should Congress do to deal with the DACA situation? Well, our take on this is that um, the People with DACA, there's a, there's a good case to make for uh, upgrading their amnesty to a proper permanent amnesty. I don't like amnesty, but I'm willing to take the risk in a small population, relative, it's not small, but I mean relatively small share of the illegal population, if we can use it an opportunity to get some important things through Congress that the president can't do on his own. And the um, the, the thinking behind this is that if you're going to amnesty, let's say, 700,000 of these DACA people, any amnesty has two effects, and dealing with those two different impacts can actually have really long-lasting, important uh, uh, results. The first effect of any amnesty is that it serves as a magnet for more illegal aliens. Amen. Um, and, and we've seen that. We did the big amnesty in '86. First time we'd done it, it seemed like a good idea, but the enforcement part never happened. The whole the idea was tie up the loose ends of the past um, by through amnesty. We amnesty three million people. This is under the Reagan amnesty. But going forward, we would enforce the new ban on hiring illegal aliens, so there wouldn't be more illegal immigration. And of course, the enforcement never happened. So we have twice as many illegal immigrants, more than that, as we did before the amnesty. So that's one effect of any amnesty. The other effect of an amnesty is that it leads a few years down the road to chain migration, where the newly amnestied people, they're now legal, they start sponsoring their family and the relatives, and the relatives then sponsor their relatives once they become citizens. And, you know, it, it, uh, basically we lose control of the immigration flow. So those two issues, if we could deal with as part of a DACA amnesty, in other words, an enforcement component, and I think the president is really set on the wall. For me, I, don't, I'm, I mean, I'm not against it, but it's much, much more important for me to have E-Verify, which is an online free system. It exists now, uh, but it's not mandatory. For when you hire somebody and you collect their info for Social Security and IRS, which you have to do anyway, you just check it online and make sure it's real. Now you don't have to do that. So that would be, the first, for me, the most important thing to weaken the magnet that pulls the illegals in the first place. And then the second thing is the chain migration issue. And that is we need to get rid of the legal immigration categories 
that result in chain migration. We have a category for adult brothers and sisters of U.S. citizens. No other country has that. We've actually looked it up. And uh, what that means is you get the adult brother and sister. Well, he's got a spouse. The spouse has parents. The spouse has her own um, uh, siblings. Uh, the spouse may have children from an earlier marriage who have their own other parent. You know, that, that, I mean, it's just it, what happens with chain migration is that yesterday's immigrants decide who tomorrow's immigrants are going to be instead of American policy deciding it. So if we can get those two big things, a major enforcement thing probably will end up being the wall. For me, I, like I said, that's less important. E-Verify is more important. And get rid of these chain migration categories. I'll, be, I'll happily give amnesty to 700,000 young people who grew up here anyway for the most part, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned chain migration. I was going to mention some polling, and I think you mentioned, I can't remember if you mentioned it in your article or not, but there was a very significant poll done among American citizens, and I'm going to plant this here, and then we're going to go off to break in a moment. But when we come back, I want to uh, talk a little more about chain migration, also the visa lottery, and then some other immigration questions. But the polling showed in America that an overwhelming majority of voters, number one, want chain migration to end. They want the E-Verify thing to be in effect that employers have to do it. So, folks, i got to tell you, we're going to zip off to break here. We're talking with Mark Krikorian, Center for Immigration Studies. Someone's bugging me in my ear. we got to go, so come back after the break. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer 
force you to violate your beliefs. Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Again, I want to thank everyone who's making this broadcast from uh, the great state of um, California possible. Really appreciate that. And um, I'm t- we're talking tonight with Mark Krikorian. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. And before I dive back into this docket stuff, I want to mention again this website, cis.org. I went there to look up one little thing today, and I could get distracted actually reading all the information is there, which I'm going to get to in a moment. But the immediate conversation, of course, is about DACA, that Congress is now facing their – they've got to do something about DACA, which, again, uh, I didn't, don't think I even said in the previous segment, but it was deferred action for childhood arrivals. It was, a, it was something, an executive order, an unconstitutional, uh, in my lawyerly opinion, executive order uh, by President Obama back in 2012 that basically said if you came here uh, as a child and you, you weren't the one that came here yourself, you know, your parents brought you, that you had some legal status. So what I want to get to now, um, Mark, is – so we give them – so these people here, 700,000 plus, of course, you've mentioned your article and other – I've seen it myself – that the terms are being conflated, the, the DACA people versus the dreamers. And there's always the push. There's always the push that whatever kind of sympathy, amnesty deal we give to any group that it just is never going to be enough. It's going to be uh, argued that you push it more toward um, that you expand whatever the, the, the protection you've given to the DACA group, to some bigger group. And then, but my immediate question is, isn't it going to be problematic even for the existing 700,000 or so who officially registered and they have DACA official status, if we say they can stay here, are you suggesting that we they stay here under a longer term work permit process, or are they should they be given some right to to be on a path towards citizenship? 
Well, that's one of the questions that uh, needs to be addressed. Um, there have been proposals <clears throat> to give uh, illegal immigrants, this, in this case or in other cases, a kind of work permit amnesty where they get to stay legally and, you know, they get to just live normally. It's just that they never – they don't get green cards, which means they couldn't <clears throat> eventually become citizens. That's one possibility. The other possibility is we just give them green cards like regular immigrants – and, uh, you know, after a certain period of time, if they want to and they qualify, they could become citizens. I actually opt for the second. I think it's just if you're going to give amnesty, just get it over with and give, make people regular immigrants. Um, because keeping people permanently for the rest of their lives in a non, uh, not just non-citizens, but in a, in a visa status that can't, that will never become a citizen – um, strikes me as, first of all, unsustainable, because the Democrats, even if they agree to that just in order to get the amnesty, as soon as the ink is dry, they'll start a campaign saying that this is a Jim Crow status, yes. that the evil Republicans are imposing, blah, blah, blah. And Congress will just cave. I mean, that's just what they do. So you might as well just, you know, not pretend. And, you know, honestly, that... Um, charge i think would resonate with some people because it just does it's it's anti-republican it seems to me to let people into your society uh to live permanently without the possibility of their ever becoming real members of our society i'm for lower immigration i want fewer people from abroad moving here but whoever we let in um we should let them in with the idea that they're going to become us in other words this isn't saudi arabia where they import people and, you know, three generations later, they're all still foreigners. That's just, it's anti-Republican. It's wrong. Um, and so if you're going to amnesty people, my, my thinking always is just rip off the Band-Aid and get it over with. You don't give them citizenship right away. There's no such thing as that. You would just make them regular immigrants, and some would become citizens. Some may never become citizens. Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. But the point is they would be on track if they qualified and chose to join the American people and become one of us rather than just kind of live together, shack up with us. Live in limbo, yeah. So how do you prevent, though, because I agree that, I mean, I've said this, I think, in an email to you, and I've said it many times on the show, I think the entire impetus of the Democrat Party in Washington with respect to DACA, the Dreamers, anyone who's entered illegally, leaving aside violent criminals, the agenda is to make them citizens and who can vote as soon as possible because they view that as these people are likely to be Democrat voters who will be given more free things by Democrats, and so they this is their incentive. So how do you – so you do it with DACA, which you're suggesting. Uh, is there some – I mean, do you think it's a more – a stronger, more palatable argument uh, to, for the Republicans to say, look, for them, they, they, these DACA folks, they complied with DACA. They did their filing, they blah, blah, blah. But for Dreamers, we don't get this. I mean, and how do we stop this? I guess I'm getting it. How do we stop this from spilling over into the Dreamer world? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, it's a real issue. But first of all, one of the – there's a couple of things here. One of the ways you deal with it is by combining the amnesty for these 700,000 people with cuts in immigration. That in a couple of years will be more than 700,000 fewer people coming in the future. You see what I mean? So that you offset the numbers pretty quickly if you get rid of some of these chain migration categories. And uh, as far as where you draw, how, how you prevent it from sort of growing into all dreamers, 
um, from just the DACAs, who are a smaller group. That's, I mean, that's, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. It's just uh, <laughs> political pressure. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, yes. the pressure is always to increase. In fact, uh, the Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin did something sneaky, uh, which I should probably just end the sentence right there, and that would be true <laughs> every day. But yeah. they did something sneaky on this DREAM Act because they introduced a new version of it uh, in this current Congress. Basically the same idea, but they bumped up the age to, to for people who came before age 17 instead of 16. They bumped it up a year. You get, And I think one of the proposals is to bump it up another year, uh, people who came before 18. It's absurd, but that's the kind of thing that happens. The way you deal with that, in my opinion, is you push back the other way and say, okay, if we're going to talk about the whole group of dreamers, not just the DACA people, because that's, like you said, that's already – a, a group that's registered and, you know, we have databases, we know who they are. If you're going to go beyond that, then you push the other way and say, okay, well, it's only going to be pe- for people who came before age seven. You know what I mean? In other words, yeah, you push I love back. That. Because that actually makes sense. I mean, I would actually be okay with a broader dreamer amnesty, again, with these offsets that I'm talking about, if it only applied to people who came before age five or age seven. Because they, they, spent their, they went to school here. All, their entire schooling was yeah. in the United States. They almost certainly don't even have an accent. You know what I mean? Because they grew up here. Not the accent, it's not like a test, but I mean it, it suggests that they really are Americanized. So that's, that's all I can say is that when they push one way, we, you have to push back the other. Love that. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of Center for Immigration Studies. So you mentioned uh, that the GOP has some, if we're going to deal with DACA and we're going to possibly uh, have some step toward legalizing in a longer-term way the people under DACA, you mentioned trying to get concessions on chain migration and changing the federal law that essentially would, would greatly eliminate the categories of people or maybe entirely eliminate the chain migration concept. Also, the E-Verify, making it mandatory and not uh, just voluntary. Voluntary and with consequences for employers. The other category, though, is the visa lottery, the category right. of immigration. Do you think that is that worth pushing on for GOP to try to get a, a concession on the visa lottery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the chain migration is probably more important because it has longer-lasting effects. But so if we if we had to choose, I would choose chain migration to get rid of rather than Iver, rather than uh, the visa lottery. But the visa lottery really is one of the dumbest parts of a dumb immigration system. I mean, we literally give out 50,000 visas, green cards to live forever in the United States, at random, to people around the world. Um, It only applies, it doesn't apply in countries that already send a lot of people. So there's about a dozen countries that are not covered. Mexico, Philippines, China, you know, that kind of thing, the top countries. But every other country in the world, it's random. And, you know, the requirements are you have to have a high school diploma, or two years of work experience in a job that would require a high school diploma, which are completely meaningless things. Because think about it. In Nigeria, don't you think you can just buy a high school diploma from a guy around the corner? You know what I mean? Sure. These are meaningless things. Now, they're screened and vetted just like any other immigrant, but none of that really means, I mean, none of that vetting is really all that meaningful anyway. And it's not even as though we're giving visas out at random to people with PhDs or something. It's just right. random to anybody. Um, and that's how you end up with uh, people like we've seen past uh, few months, uh, terrorist attacks from people who either came in the lottery or whose 
relatives came in on the lottery and they followed them. And um, it's not as though, you know, most people come in the lottery, just regular people. They're not terrorists. But if you're going to take 50,000 people, if you're taking 50,000 rocket scientists and PhDs, there's going to be fewer terrorists among them than if you're taking 50,000 cab drivers and dishwashers. I mean, there's just no way around that. Amen to that. I mentioned, and I'll tell our listeners, there is uh, great information about polling in America. America is really with the conservative view on this for the most part. So if you go to AmericaCanBeTalked.org, we put this up, the polling information, really, really significant in terms of people in America agreeing with the conservative view. So I want to throw in one thing I read on your website, um, which I just thought was amazingly interesting. 32% of federal inmates in the United States of America are aliens, are legal aliens, 32%. Just think about that for a second in terms of your tax dollars, because we don't have a firm system. We don't keep illegal aliens out. 32% of federal inmates are aliens. But the last thing I want to get on this is we have one minute here, Mark, but here's this. I saw this, uh, for lack of a better term, sob story on Facebook, and it was on uh, all over the Internet. It was a, a family in New Jersey. The husband and wife sneaked in America 30 years ago. They've been here 30 years. They had their kids. They raised them. The kids are now, they have three children, and they are finally being deported, never having gotten legal status here. It was obviously being portrayed as it, this is how horrible it is. So I, honestly, we have like 30 seconds. But what is your response to that kind of sympathy ploy? It's what the other side does. They don't have facts so that they try to, uh, you know, do these sob stories. And frankly, sometimes the sob stories have some basis to them. But a the couple of points is that it's all kinds of American families who have sob stories when somebody commits a crime. Uh, and the other thing is, if we had a whole lot less immigration and a much tighter system, we could be a little more flexible about the people who are left, some, you know, um, if there are examples like this. You can't be flexible when you've got 12 million illegal aliens and a million new legal immigrants coming in every year. Mark Krikorian, you are such a wonderful expert to have on the show. Thank you so much for calling in tonight. Glad to do it. Thank you. Have you on again sometime soon. Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk. Lots more to come next hour. Don't go away. We keep- 